Hello and welcome to Marriott Hotel's In Focus podcast, which brings together some of the UK's brightest minds to help ambitious individuals reach their full potential. From self-care to side hustles, this podcast explores career trends to offer advice, guidance and practical tips to those who want to get ahead in their careers. Today we're here to talk about leadership. We'll be exploring what it means to lead, what our panellists have learned about being leaders and offering practical tips and advice on how to improve your style of management. I'm Pandora Sykes, a journalist and speaker, and I'm here with three panellists who have a lot of experience in the area. Sharma Dean Reed is an entrepreneur and the founder of Beauty Stack and Wah Nails. Her mission is to use technology to empower women economically, socially and culturally. A former fashion stylist and brand consultant who started Wah as a hip-hop magazine for girls in 2006 while still at university, she then founded Wah Nails, which completely changed the beauty industry with its millennial voice, feminist attitude and innovative salon space. She then wrote two books, delivered global pop-up nail salons for hundreds of brands, created a product line with Walgreen Boots Alliance and was awarded an MBE from the Queen in 2015 for services to beauty. Timo Bolt is the CEO and founder of Gusto, the recipe box company which makes it joyfully simple for UK families to enjoy delicious home-cooked dinners. Since exchanging his life in the finance world as vice president of a Goldman Sachs offshoot to follow his passion for food at the age of 26, Timo's sheer determination has taken him and Gusto on an incredible journey. Seven years later, Gusto is one of the UK's fastest-growing businesses with over 500 employees, 75 million funding secured. Vanessa Vallely founded WeAreTheCity.com in 2008 as a vehicle to help women progress in their careers. Now with over 120,000 members, it provides resources, conference, awards and jobs to women across the UK. This came following a 25-year corporate career in tech and banking. At the end of 2018, Vanessa was awarded an OBE for services to women and the economy. Welcome to you all. Thanks for having us. (laughs) Let's start with an open question to you all. What does leadership mean to you? Timo, kick us off. Leadership, you know, is all about setting the North Star and then galvanizing people behind the North Star, the purpose you have, the mission you have, you know, and getting everyone excited and and, and bought into um, that and and enabling teams to then accomplish um, the mission ultimately. In the most basic way, I think that's leadership. Sharmadine? What he said. (laughs) (laughs) I think that there should be an understanding between the difference of leadership and management because quite rightly, as Timo said, it is about having this vision and exactly those words galvanizing the team behind it but then once you've got the team behind it how do you continue to take them through and see it from zero to one or from one to a hundred and scale beyond the initial vision and what I've had in my journey is a, a movement from pure leadership and being a leader to how can I be a really good manager and a coach for the people who are behind me. Brilliant. Vanessa? I would agree. It's about kind of having that vision and that strategy, but leading the team to deliver on that. But I think above the word leadership is the behaviours you exhibit as that individual. Anybody can lead, but I think there's a difference in between leading and leading well. So I think there's a lot to be said around how you exhibit yourself as a leader and the culture and the 
perhaps excitement that that creates within your business. Definitely, and we're going to get on to more of how to be a good leader. Sharmadine, you were just 24 when you launched One Nails before going on to found Beauty Stack. How did you establish yourself as a leader at such a young age, and what have you learnt now that you didn't know then? When I was 24, I didn't have a clue. I was a terrible, terrible uh, leader. I thought that it would be enough to have a good idea and just get on with it. I also think that as a founder, you're naturally inclined to do things and you find it weird when other people don't want to do them at the same rate. So, you know, there's this big gulf between a founder or entrepreneurial or leader mindset and then the team that you need to take you there. And I think my biggest learning between 24 and 28, 29 was I can't possibly grow a business to the level that I want without learning these skills. If I, if I don't understand how to be a good leader and not just a visionary or a pioneer, then there's no point going to battle with no army behind you. You're not, you're not going to win, right? So I think that establishing myself as a leader at 24 was more about having a unique idea and a clear proposition and communicating that effectively externally. But then now that I'm older, my leadership really is about communicating effectively internally. I like how you distinguish as well between being a leader and being a visionary or an entrepreneur, that those are two separate things and two separate skill sets. I feel like they're all these things that go into the bucket of leader, but there are people who are good at one element of those that bucket. So I would say that there are people who are good founders but not good CEOs. There are people who are incredible visionaries but can't communicate their vision very well or can't articulate it. There are people who are really good managers but uninspiring, and I think... To me, how I view good leadership is how many things can you fit in this bucket? (laughs) Combination of all of the above. Timo, you moved from the world of finance into food and health, so a big pivot. You have spoken about the importance of culture in business. Was that something you learnt at Goldman's or did you apply a leadership of culture at Gusto from scratch, much like your meals? I think... um... I think in the beginning, very similar. It's all about the idea and and you doing a lot of stuff. I came from a world where, where no one really cared about culture. It's all about pay. Uh, and then on the other end of the contract is, is you working 100 hours. But culture didn't really matter much. And then as you scale a business from zero to five people, people see how you behave. And you don't really have to think that deeply about culture. Then as you scale the business from, from 5 people to 50 people, from 50 to 500, all of a sudden you realize it's actually only about people and culture. That's, the, you know, that's all that matters. Um, so I've been on this massive journey, first uh, managing myself and, and deeply recognizing my own weaknesses, not how to work on my weaknesses, but how to solve for my weaknesses so that they don't um, get into the way, and then how to amplify my strength, how to build a team around me, how to give the team a mandate so that I don't take all the decisions, but I actually get out of their way. Here you go, guys, you know, take, take your own decisions, um, fail occasionally. Um, and I think that's the only way to scale a business. Um, but it's been a hugely fascinating journey. Yeah, I love what you say about delegation as well, about that being key to leadership. Vanessa, you also hailed from the corporate world. Five years ago, you published your book, Surviving and Thriving in the Corporate World. What are the challenges facing ambitious people in the corporate world? And what leadership tips would you give to navigate around them? I think the biggest challenge 
for people on their way up is internal sponsorship. So having people open up doors of opportunity for those individuals. So I think it's accessibility to other senior leaders, um, whether that's to kind of see the best practice in terms of how they're leading so that you can role play in your own mind how you would become a leader. Again, back to the sponsorship. Sometimes you've got very inspirational people and I absolutely agree with Sharmadine's point about, you know, you can be a great founder but necessarily a great leader and, and you see that a lot in the corporate world. You'll have people that are exceptional at their jobs but they're not very good at managing people um, or they're not accessible to people if they are good leaders because they're so busy. Um, so I think from a tips for success if you're looking at a leadership position would be to and I always kind of start with mentors because they're the best people to grow into sponsors but it's finding that uh, what I call like your your circle of trust or people that understand enough about your capability and your delivery that would advocate for you in a room and kind of you know say well why don't we put x forward for this opportunity but that's a bit of a two-way street because you've got to let those individuals know a, that you're up for, you know, an additional challenge. And there was also an element of becoming comfortable with not bragging, not boasting, but raising your own profile. Because if you keep all that stuff internal, what your aspirations are, what you're good at, how will anyone ever know? So from a sponsor's perspective, and I say this to a lot of people that I advocate for, if you don't tell me what you're doing or you don't tell me about that great piece of work that you've delivered, I can't repeat that. And I'm going to sell you better than you sell yourself anyway because you may feel uncomfortable about that. So I think articulate what you're good, seek your sponsors out, um, and don't be afraid to you know, occasionally blow your own trumpet. For the sake of our listeners, would you mind explaining the difference between a sponsor and a mentor? So um, there's a good description of as in a mentor talks to you, whereas a sponsor talks about you. Oh, I love so that. So a sponsor would tend to be, again, somebody that perhaps isn't in your direct line management, but they've seen you deliver. Someone that, so for example, if I think of my, the people that I sponsor, they're people that I've seen that are doing wonderful stuff and perhaps they're just not in the same rooms that I'm in. So I've got an opportunity to replay that. So whereas a mentor, you would go to a mentor for a specific, help with a specific skill, um, and they would help you work through that particular skill. So I'm a big believer in multiple mentors because that way you can learn lots of different things. And another thing, you want difference of opinion, otherwise you end up becoming a clone of that single mentor. But if we can turn those individuals who know enough about us understand our, our good spots and you know I hate the word weakness but you know places where perhaps we need to hone a skill then they turn into advocates for you um, because they've invested in you and they've helped you learn so they've kind of got a bit of skin in your game as well. Sharmadine what advice would you give to entrepreneurs looking to lead? I would say don't underestimate the storytelling at all areas of the business so when you're an entrepreneur and we've said that you have a vision it's being able to articulate it well and concisely so that when people are talking about you as Vanessa said with sponsors they just know the headlines they're like this person stands for this they're working on this and they're going to achieve this and it needs to be that succinct and that quick and then once you've mastered the storytelling which you use in so many different ways you storytell to raise money you storytell to get new customers you storytell to get the best hires and the best talent um you know being able to say this is how i see the world fundamentally different with our business in it is hugely important but then once you've done that actually having a strategy behind it and thinking, well, how am I going to deliver on that story? 
if the story is that Pandora wants to climb this Mount Everest and this story is really, really beautiful and I'm going to tell all the story about how you're going to carry this baby on your back, I'd be like, okay, well, how are you going to get there? What's the flight number? What hotel are you going to stay at? Where's the first aid kit? Is the baby (laughs) going to be well? Do you need to do altitude training? And all the things that go underneath it. We've just started um, doing OKRs in the business. We're still such a small team, but I thought that implementing something as, you know, formal as OKRs, which is Objective Key Results, it's a, a framework that Google used to supercharge its productivity. I was like, if we start using OKRs now and I embed them into the culture, it means that when I'm talking about the vision, everyone in the head will have this mental capacity of, case. Okay, so what are the things I need to do to get to the goal that Sharma's set? So yeah, I would say that having what I refer to as a very macro-micro mindset so the ability to see the big vision but then narrow down on the detail is quite important for that for that first few years before you can start hiring senior people and delegating you know because you're still kind of in between the both I think being a Gemini (laughs) plays massively into that for me that I can flip between these two sides but yeah that would be my my top tips and also learning negotiation especially compromise well (laughs) Compromise? No. (laughs) But I think for women founders especially, having the skills to negotiate, business is all about you're negotiating almost every single day on everything. And I think that that skill really changed things for me. I love what you say about storytelling because I think that goes across any job actually is you need to be able to tell a story about what you do and you need to be able to tell that story succinctly. And the macro and micro, that's a great way of putting it as well. Timo, how do you encourage leadership at Gusto? We, over time, learned the, the power of having one single company goal and really communicating it um, by having it on coffee mugs and T-shirts and on the wall. And we literally surveyed people. Like, do you understand what this, you know, what the single, you know, most strategic goal is? And like 91% said they, they kind of get it. Um, and then we did a bit more work and then really everyone got it. And that year we exceeded our wildest like stretch goal and it gave us huge confidence in, in what we were doing. So we never went back to having three, five goals. We literally only have one goal. We also use OKRs. So we do use translation mechanisms mainly to flash out where kind of um, issues are cross-functionally. Um, you know, if you say you're doing X but you really depend on the tech team. And then you look at the tech team's OKRs and it didn't mention the stuff you wanted them to do. Um, you, you create a huge alignment this way. We also, as a, as a company, place huge value on, on culture. So we have those three ownership principles or three values and then nine behaviors against um, the, the, the three values. The three are dream, deliver, care, um, and they matter the world. We hire against them. 50% of your performance uh, review is pretty much based on are you epitomizing the, the values we set? And um, we do uh, town halls each quarter, giving out uh, ownership awards, giving people holidays for living the culture. So that stuff uh, really matters as you scale the company because people don't see you anymore. You're out of the business most of the time. Um, so you somehow have to articulate this, this stuff more. Dream, deliver, care and the free holidays. I definitely heard um, <laughs> that bit. How do you cut through a saturated world? There's a lot going on in food. How do you set yourself apart as a leader and as a company? Overnight success takes 10 years. Um, we 
operate in a huge market. Um, you know, it's my favorite statistics. One out of one person eats dinner. Like everyone, you know, has, has dinner every day. So there are one billion meals eaten in the UK on a weekly basis alone. It's, it's tremendous. And for the last 50 years, supermarkets built this, this supply chain, which for the next 50 years is no longer fit for purpose. My son just turned one. He's been to a supermarket twice in his life. You know, I, I think it's ridiculous that, that in the next 10, 20 years, people will shop the way, you know, my parents have shopped. So we see those huge shifts in, in preferences. And by taking this long-term time horizon and then obsessing about building technology, automation, data science capabilities, you know, putting AI into the key areas of the business and, and turning, you know, the idea meritocracy on and, and really leveraging everyone's brain, um, we're achieving some, some really fun stuff. Um, but the jury is still out. You know, we're taking a really long time horizon here, still growing fast, but it's, it's a big market. So it's future-proofing as well. You said in the past that you don't consider yourself just as working in food, but in health. Yeah, absolutely. So I would recommend to anyone to think about the moat around the castle, like what, what is protecting your business from other businesses, and then to put some effort into, into the strategic roadmap. Will it widen the moat? You know, will it make it bigger long term? Will it make the business more defendable by 2025? So a lot of our thinking today is actually going into, you know, investing into the moat in 2025. And Sharmadine, beauty is an increasingly crowded market. How, how do you set yourself apart as a leader working with a beauty company? I think um, my mode is also that long term vision because defensibility is in this day and age is built on did you collect all the information you needed to from day one which you can then turn into possible other types of businesses in year five so definitely build on defensibility to stand us out you know stand us apart from our competitors but really in these very early days I think it's just authenticity I think there are so many scheduling and beauty booking and I think that my forte is that I've actually run a salon simple as that I think that having a problem to solve that you've personally experienced is something that a lot of people actually disregard it's like let's solve this problem for this user group that I read an uh, article about but I don't know anything about them or their experience or I did a bit of a bit of market research or while I was at a bank I read this report on this opportunity so I'm going to go and like solve that and I think that unless you feel deeply connected to the to the problem you won't have the stamina to see through seven years because seven years is a long time for a problem that you don't really care that much about when I was 24 as you said and I ran a salon I was 24 and using like Tumblr and Vine and cool apps and then the salon software I was being sold looked like it was built in 1998 and I was like one day I'm gonna sort this out so I've had this problem for 10 years you know and not only have I had this problem I've worked directly and coached directly beauty professionals and understand their psyche and their issues and you know really small things like the fact that a lot of my employees at the salon were single mothers so they could only work 16 hours a week or they'd lose the benefits how can we build things like that into the app where you can track your hours so that you can't be booked more than 16 hours a week you know and the fact that they don't know how to get insurance or don't know what to claim on their self-assessment how can I help them through the entire journey and really be a central part of their their life so I feel like my aim to do that is really what I hope uh, the perception would 
be like I'm apart from the others right but then there's all kinds of things in terms of like my yeah like I said five and seven year vision for the company whereby it's like beauty has always been innovation led from a makeup point of view ingredients point of view beauty heavily relies on science and technology to propel it forward from a product to marketing point of view but I was always like how can I be indispensable and not a feature I don't want to be a feature in the beauty industry, like one thing that slots into everything else. I want to be the main frame that other people have to slot into. So having that systems thinking approach, I feel like is what's going to help us last. I love that you focus on the holistic side there as well, about looking at the women that are working with and for beauty stack and what they need in order to do the best job. Because I think that is what makes a great leader, is someone that's thinking about how they're actually living their lives as well, that they need to, you know, learn about benefits and self-assessment and insurance and everything like that. I think that's brilliantly valuable. I would also say that this is exactly what I learnt with employees as well. So, you know, just to go back to a lot of consumer technology products, they often, in a marketplace, they often think of the end consumer. So... Let's let me think about the busy woman who wants to blow dry at seven a.m. and solve a problem for them instead of being like, let me solve a problem for the supplier because they will absolutely look after the clients. It's the same when you're running a business. You often think of the end customer, and the customer is always right, and it's like we've got to get all the customers. But if you look after your employees, they will look after the customers. So I'm trying to apply the same leadership and management principles to actually how we build the app as well i always say the beauty professionals are our users not the clients does that make sense yeah it does make sense vanessa how do you encourage leadership not just among the women that work for you at we are the city but the 120,000 women who benefit from it as a network i would describe it as parts of our dna not to use a cheesy business term is the essence of paying it forward. So that's a big, strong, I'd say, leadership capability and something that we encourage, even when we give our awards, whether it be they Rising Stars or Tech Women 100, we kind of tell them that they're role models. They are role models. Everyone's a role model to someone, but they are leaders. But with that comes great responsibility. So this thing around you've been given an opportunity to shine, how can you now pass that back um, to someone else? So again, it goes back to the point around kind of sponsorship as well. Um, So I think from a leadership perspective, that ability to kind of help others um, is massively important. And that's one of the things that we actively push within that 120,000 community. But even within my own office, I absolutely agree with Sharma Dean that if you look after your people, your people look after your customers. Um, and again, we have the... It, and sometimes it's not always that the customer's right. And so it's to get out of that mindset, because sometimes, you know, you're, what you've done is absolutely correct. And you have to work out how you manage that, you know, so as to not upset future business or whatever but there is an element of standing your ground and valuing your worth as a business and as a brand as well that kind of comes into that so um so that's how that's how we encourage others to lead all three of you have interrogated I think your own style of leadership which is clearly very beneficial for the people who work with you um Vanessa knowing yourself as you do what is the number one thing that you do as a leader to make sure that you are leading well and that your employees are happy I think if I had to pick out two traits mine would be passion and that goes to the storytelling earlier on and I absolutely agree we tell stories every single day when I tell the story of we are the city 
and the visualisation of me sitting at my desk looking across London Bridge thinking there has to be another way, that resonates with some people because we've all had those thoughts, it, there has to be another way. So I think the storytelling um, element of it, so that you can exude your passion, people buy into that and they want to be part of it, whether they're um, an employee or whether they're a customer. Um, the second piece I think would be around empathy. You know, you have to have that ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes and see situations and, you know, opportunities in, in, in a different way. You know, so I think being an empathetic leader is is kind of a trait that I'd like to be remembered for in my legacy. <laughs> Timo, you're a big believer in knowing your own weaknesses. What is the most important thing that you think you do as a leader at Gusto? It's all about people. So it's, it, in, in my head, it's, you know, my only job really is is kind of to set the vision and, and the big, um, the one big goal and then to take care of people and, um, you know, take the blockers out of their day jobs, um, set the culture, make sure people live the culture, keep the culture pure. But it's actually really basic. So my entire day is literally just speaking to people and, and getting them excited and transferring the energy. And I, I see myself as the chief energy officer, understanding deeply who's down in my team, because we all are down uh, a couple of times a day and, and a week and a month, and we might commute for two hours and our kids are ill and whatever, issues with the partner. And I think recognizing that in your leadership team, the key guys running the, the, the company, um, that then becomes your your biggest kind of outlet um, to drive performance across the business, picking them up, building them up, energizing them again. Super, super important. And I'm very lucky. Uh, I you know I I think I understand my weaknesses, and I surround myself with people who are highly conscientious, who are super process driven, who are amazing organizational design and, and structured thinking. I'm not. I'm chaotic, um, and I like it. You know, I like to think big, and I like to talk to people all day. But I feel like I've, I've kind of solved for, for that problem by empowering the right talent around me. And it's, um, it's really good fun. And I enjoy life a lot more this way. I really like that as a new definition of CEO as well, mm. Chief Energy <laughs> Officer. Sharmadine, what about if you're in a bad mood? What do you do as a leader if you're in a bad mood so as not to make others feel low mood in the office? I think that one of the things about being a CEO is that you you have to be the chief energy officer, right? And you're not allowed to have bad days. And sometimes I hate that because I want to be able to be vulnerable and be tired and, you know, share some a bad meeting with the team and not let it get them down. But I think you need to know as a leader when that's appropriate and when that's not because with leadership comes responsibility and the responsibility is that the business has to keep moving. You have to keep putting one foot in front of the other and it has to keep going. And um, I recently have done things like just texted, you know, our studio manager and said, I'm going to go home because I'm so... You're not going to get any good information out of me this afternoon. There is no point me continuing with all the meetings I've got internally because my responses are grounded in emotion rather than rationality and knowing the difference between those two things is so important it's like am I making this decision with all clarity and sense (laughs) because if you're not you know you have to accept the consequences if that decision doesn't work out so yeah I try and protect them from my moods but 
it's not always possible. It's just not. We're human. But I think that is a really important thing for leaders and otherwise actually a learning curve is to distinguish between what is emotion and what is rationale and be able to know when you're going to be in the right place to have certain meetings and respond from the right reservoir, as it were. I think like every day I'm on a sliding scale of focus and a sliding scale of energy and a sliding scale of mood and I think checking in with yourself every day and just being like where am I at and looking in your diary the thing that I spend most of the time doing is looking at my calendar and making sure that the meetings I've got I'm mentally prepared for and you know I just think you've got to constantly check in with yourself because otherwise what we do is so high octane sometimes Mm. I'm just like how the hell am I doing this like I'm, I'm functioning 10 times more than uh, normal people and this is actually really a lot so you've got to constantly monitor yourself because otherwise you'll have a little breakdown and I do have little breakdowns and that's when I go home and like chill out but I think that you know my my leadership skill that I'm still working on and trying to do which is related to this is the skill of coaching it's like you've set the vision, you've hired the amazing team. Now, can you coach them through the process to be as productive and optimum as possible? Because me being the guardian of the people and the coach of the people actually is where I've noticed we've been more effective. So when people are are underperforming, it's like coaching them through that process of underperformance to get to the goal which works to the bigger goal and the language I've used in that as opposed to being critical you know I think I can be quite a critical person so I'm trying to be more of a coaching person great advice this podcast series is brought to you the listeners by Marriott Hotels so let's just quickly talk about travel Vanessa when you're on the move how do you lead remotely if you're dashing around from hotel to hotel or city to city, meeting to meeting, how do you still ensure that you give that same sense of leadership? Most of my kind of communication at that point is by email. That's assuming that I can have a good enough signal. Um, but just using through different apps, talk to my team dynamically through kind of WhatsApp, emails. But I do also kind of caveat certain emails because I probably send about 20 emails a day easily to like one member of my team or various members of my team. I try and make their lives a little bit easier and I'll just put some headlines, action today, or leave it to the end of the week, or something like that, to kind of help them manage their time, because if they manage their time, that helps me to manage mine as well, and helps everyone else in the office. So um, my main communication when I'm travelling tends to be, you know, if I don't have a signal and my battery goes flat, you know, I will have a meltdown. Um, That's a great tip, though, is as a leader scale things by importance because I think when you're working for someone else and they say these are all the things that need to get done I know I've been in that position where you think how can I do all of that today and I think that's really useful that you're giving that sort of breakdown of this is urgent you know this can wait till the end of the week Timo what about you how do you lead from afar so leading um, is all about giving and taking away space and the the one thing that has worked really well for me is is um, for people to send me trading emails and so I wake up, I get automated reports on kind of the key metrics, revenues, new customers, customer satisfaction. So and your so finance on. background coming. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you need to know this stuff. And if I don't get it, it simply means I'm sending you five emails or I'll, I'll give you a call. So, so I think that's kind of the foundation. I'm omnipresent whilst never being in the office, but I'm like fully aware of what's going on. So if anything doesn't go well or is falling off a cliff, 
you know, I know who to, whom to call and how to offer help and what to do. Uh, and then I also send tons and tons of emails. I do signpost them as well. So urgent, not urgent, important, not urgent. Uh, um, just to make it easier for my team. I think the biggest false economy last year I had was I was too stingy to hire an EA for a long time. I just felt like it's a corporate luxury. No one should have EAs. Now I have an EA and my life has changed completely. Um, I'm so much more productive. I do probably twice as many meetings um, and it's amazing. She reads emails, she sends emails on my behalf, and, and it's really amazing. LinkedIn posts, blog posts, Timo say this in this interview, this conference, don't do this, but do this, and it's just super help, helpful. So I'm li literally getting pushed into you know, the factory, talking to I don't know, the team leaders on the floor, and then two hours later I'm doing a radio interview, and, and this is like the way to keep me sane, is to, to, to like literally just dumb it down and tell me, like, Timo, do this, do it now. And then I carve out a lot of time. So I'm literally blocking every Monday um, for two, three meetings outside of the business and then to think and kind of prepare and write stuff. I'm blocking three entire weeks this year to just strategize and travel and meet other CEOs and kind of grow my own network. I haven't made, you know, booked anything, but just having that discipline means it's in the diary. You know, I won't forget. I might do a coaching certificate, but like I'm definitely not doing day to day again. So it's all about kind of being mindful, I think, of your time. I'm the best in the morning. So I schedule meetings. Tough, toughest meetings are like the earliest possible meetings, 8 a.m. breakfast. And then by 5 p.m., I'm not really useful. So, you know, I'll, I'll do like some kind of Q&A or, or fun event, but not the meaty decision-making stuff. I read that tip actually just yesterday, and I'd never thought about that. I often have really big two, three-hour meetings in the afternoon. So from now on, I'm going to book them. Sharmadine is nodding furiously. <laughs> and an EA is an executive assistant. So amazing. And Sharmadine, what about you? When I travel... I feel like I shouldn't have to constantly check in with what's going on in that I've kind of left it in a place where everyone knows what they're doing, right? And rare in mind, we're still like a super small team. The omnipresentness is, is really cool. Uh, I'm watching you. Um, no, what I like to do is I like to take travel as an opportunity to inspire the team by sending them like notes and postcards from where I am. So, you know, when I was in Morocco... I saw women doing henna in the main square in Marrakesh. And I was like, imagine if the tourists could book this on Beauty Stat. They've got all these pictures and they're flicking through henna styles. So I send that back to the team and get them really bolstered up that, you know, this is super exciting. This is happening all over the world. And, yeah, sharing news and things that I, I see. I do. We do a stand-up stand still. So I call in for a 10-minute stand-up, no matter where I am. I'm like, it's only 10 minutes. If I have to wake up at, you know, 5 a.m., it's only 10 minutes. So I call in for the 10-minute stand-up and give my notes. Um, but that's pretty much about, about it, if I'm honest. Otherwise, I get a sense of FOMO. <laughs> I love being in the office. Like, I love it. Like, when I come back, I'm always like, missed you guys so much. So when I'm not there, if I continue to constantly engage, I'm not, I haven't got my, it's like being on your phone on the train and you miss the beautiful landscape. Like, if I'm constantly engaged in what's happening in the office, I'm missing all the things around me that I could be learning by traveling. So, you know, traveling for going to conferences, for meeting other CEOs, for you know, a coaching course or whatever. I just think I should be present in there once I've made sure everything's okay back in the office. But, 
you know, to echo on the EA, you need support. It's it's the same equivalent of like it takes a village to raise a child, right? I think it takes multiple people to support you in the in the work that you have to do to lead a company. And um, there's no, in the, you know, again, parallels to motherhood. There's no shame in having help at home. There's no shame in having help in the office. And I, you know, I'm in the process of trying to hire somebody now that I, you know, can really support me in that. So I think it's super important to, yeah, have someone helping you manage the information. To end the podcast, let's have some bite-sized takeaway tips on leadership. Vanessa, kick us off tip would be don't be too hard on yourself if you get it wrong no matter what book you buy what you listen to obviously this one is exceptional um (laughs) but whatever you listen to I think we're all on a journey for leadership so you know it's very easy for us to put ourselves up as pedestals the moment you assume um you you know you acquire the founder or CEO you've got that job title and that should automatically come with a skill set so I, I think you know sometimes we have to be a little bit easy on ourselves and just appreciate that we're learning Um, Second thing being, you know, to leverage the experience of others around you. Um, And it plays to the same point. We're kind of never done. But everyone's got different perspectives. And as a leader myself, I find listening to other people's, how they deal with things, very um, thought-provoking. And I've often changed my stance on things through asking for the opinions of others as well. Timo, takeaway tip. Be the hero uh, of your own story. Um, I I meet a lot of people who are clearly high potentials, but the conversion rate from high potential to actually unlocking that you know, potential is not 100%. And, and the number one issue is this whole floating and not being clear on what is your own story and what, what do you want to do when you're grown up and, and you want to have a house uh, and work two days a week? Then don't tell me you want to be CEO of this bank or whatever. Like, you know, it has to be your own kind of a, a achievable vision. And then I think you got to understand your weaknesses and you got to solve for them. Weaknesses are fantastic as long as you can solve for them. you got to understand your limiting factors. Um, if you grew up poor, you're likely to still look over the fence when you're 50. Uh, your mindset is deeply you know, conditioned to think in a certain way. And I think the more you, you put this in the open and you turn it into fuel that kind of motivates you and don't see it as a negative one that holds you back, um, that's amazing. And then the fourth one is, is you know, deeply understanding what energizes you so that when things are hard, you can kind of, uh, you know, pull out um, whatever energizes you and, and go to the gym or go to bed early or call up, you know, your best mate who has amazing advice and is always caring and kind. Um, but it's all about the soul managing yourself and really deeply understanding yourself that, that I think matters the most when it comes to entrepreneurship and leadership. Sharmadine, top takeaway tips. So such good things have been said already and I would agree wholeheartedly with all of them. So I would just end with the thinking macro and the micro as in be able to tell a very big story and a vision but know how you get there and what you need to get there and who you need by your side to get there. So the granular is as important as the big picture. Do you have any specific leadership tips for 2019? I think today... In this day and age, we should understand as um, leaders that there is so much choice for your team right now. They could be working for you, but they could also be working for themselves. They could be, you know, an influencer. They could be going at one of the hundreds of startups that are founded every single day. And I think we're in an age where flexible working and also work 
satisfaction is a high priority for employees. So thinking about how you can bake that into your offering and how into your packaging. Um, you know, some people, I often hear people talking about millennial employees and I think that what their needs are are encouraging you to create an organisation that has far more holistic principles than have ever been put in the workplace before. So, yeah, leading in 2019 is a very different thing from leading, you know, in 1999. I would add to, um, in terms of leading, is having a diversity lens um, around your hiring. Um, obviously, front of everyone's mind at the moment, but there is, you know, there is always that danger that people hire in their own shadows and that they hire people that look and sound like them from similar backgrounds. And what you end up with is an organisation that group thinks. Um, so you want just people from all different sides of the world and, and from a talent perspective in that room and just being open to those different things which you may find a, you know, a little bit disruptive because they're not what you'd normally get in terms of answers to solutions. But you know sometimes there's a real richness in, I say, people from all different sides of, of, of the fence. Um, so that's what I would say. Absolutely put that diversity lens on both your business and your products, and on people you hire, and who's in that boardroom with you. Love those points, those are great. Um, I would add kind of unlocking the potential of purpose. I think today versus the last 10 years ago, people care deeply about purpose in life and the mission of the company, not just consumers, but employees working in the company. Um, so articulating this well and, and making sure you actually have a purpose that's good and an impact on the world that's that's better, not just economically for yourself or for shareholders, um, is, is really, really, really powerful. And we see this in the numbers. Um, the higher our team engagement, which we, we measure quarterly, you know, the higher the output. It's pretty simple. So I think the more you can unlock um, the purpose point, in our case, food waste, you know, impact on plastic, plastic waste, our pledge to reduce plastic by 50%. This is the stuff that really, really kind of drives people and, and uh, helps us attract amazing talent against companies such as Facebook or Amazon. A big thank you to our panellists for taking part in this In Focus discussion. You can catch more episodes of the In Focus podcast by keeping an eye out on travelbrilliantly.co.uk or by following at Marriott on Twitter. <laughs>